there's still probably a lot of amazing secrets out there as far as mushrooms go that we're we're uncovering and it really is just the beginning like i'm i'm expecting to hopefully eat another 200 more mushrooms in the next decade there it's 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 yeah it's exciting Today on Dirty Linen, we are going to dig into the earth to talk mushrooms. Our guest today is Martin Martini. I first came across Martin when he was in the music phase of his life. I'm sure music never really departs a person's life, but he was, uh, yeah, a really flamboyant musician in Melbourne. He now lives uh, on the northern coast of New South Wales, where mushrooms have become a particular obsession. Martin, thanks so much for joining us on Dirty Linen. No worries, Danny. Thanks for having me. How does a person go from music to mushrooms? Well, they're pretty closely related, I reckon. Um, As soon as you mentioned music, and I didn't know you knew about my past, um, I started thinking about John Cage, who um, was an amateur amateur mycologist and used to throw these mushroom parties in the 1960s and 70s and eat all kinds of mushrooms he had no idea about. Um, and that was a big influence on his music. I think, I think there's a really interesting connection in the sense that, okay, so I, I remember having a girlfriend in my early 20s who was obsessed with Johnny Farnham and we went to, um, we went to the, last, the last time. It was called The Last Time, The Last Concert, and she was a, a gambler. She was addicted to gambling. And I, and I remember, you know how, you know, in the same way that people remember smells and they remember tastes of food and that enables them to travel back through their life and be automatically in a place. Um, music has always done that for me. So I can, I, there's certain songs or I remember certain points in my life where I heard music and I'm taken back to that moment. I feel like mushrooms essentially can do the same thing. So a mushroom can make a map in your mind, if you like. So, you know, right now, the first mushroom I'm thinking about is one that I found four years ago in 2018 at my brother-in-law's Easter lunch in his backyard. It was a rhubarb chanterelle. And I still remember finding it on that day in, you know, so there's something that happens in your mind that connects. It's almost like a map and, and it, and it lasts your whole life. So there's this map that's continually changing and being made up in my body that's connected to every time I find a new mushroom for the first time. So I feel like that's similar to the way a melody or a song can bring someone to tears um, at, a, at a supermarket or in a shopping centre, if you know what I mean. I mean, that's, that's very beautiful and gives me lots of pathways that I want to take this conversation. But I just need to ask, so what, what was the relevance of her being a gambler? Does it mean that when you hear a John Farnham song, you feel like playing the pokies? No, no. So we, I remember being in the pokies with her and trying to make sure that it was the last time, but it was linked to Johnny Farnham's The Last Time, which was never the last time, as we know. And she was, you know, so, but anyway, that, that was just a reference to that, that, that concert that I had to sit through. I didn't like Johnny Farnham, I mean, <laughs> but, but I have no choice because the music's in me and a, and a similar thing happens when you get put under the spell of mushrooms and you get this addiction of going out and finding them. Like even today, I found a mushroom I haven't found before and I've been looking pretty seriously for 15 years now. I'll remember the car park that I found it in behind which supermarket, in which suburb, on what day. And what the other thing is, is it, it, it connects you, it connects you literally to the planet or to the ground because when you find a mushroom in a place, 
maybe it's under a certain tree or in a certain location, there's a very good chance that it will fruit there forever, every year, around the same time. So automatically you're forced to have a relationship with a tree or with a car park or whatever, wherever that place is. And that's a beautiful thing, you know. I mean, trees are easier to have relationships with than people, I think. Like, I haven't got a great – no, I've got a pretty good track record. But um, it's also a way of connecting you, connecting you to the planet and making you fall in love with it because you see – you know, you can't look at a mushroom without looking at a tree and without looking at a location. And then you start to see how everything's connected. And I feel like the greater idea behind mushrooms, though, is that it's a way of – making you fall in love with the world because you can actually see how it all joins up. Well, you can in a sense, but of course there is so much mystery to mushrooms and the way they have the, the symbiotic relationships that they do have with trees. It's sort of like, it's, I mean, you know, tip of the iceberg, it's, you, you can, you can sort of relate to it, but you don't necessarily, well, you just don't know what's going on with that, with all those relationships, all those networks that are underground, do you? Um, you can't, like we all, you know, everyone's listened to the podcasts and they know about the fact that there's a mycelium network that they talk about being the great, you know, the uh, worldwide web of mushrooms and that the trees can use the mycelium to communicate with each other. So we know that information. But I think um, I think it, it, go, it, it, it goes more than that for me. It's... Um, it's, 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 there's something more magical going on than just that, in my opinion. What do you think it is? I don't, look, I don't know. I don't think a mushroom is this, like a mushroom is more closely related to an animal than a vegetable. So we know that a mushroom is made up of chitin, which is the same thing that's in the kind of the shell of a crustacean. Um, and we know that they're really smart. And I've, you know, I'm. It's. I'm not. When I'm not going to lie. I'm eat. I'm eating mushrooms in Australia that no one's eaten before. So I have a couple of close friends, and we're really pushing the boundaries of what is edible and what we can eat. And we learn what we can eat from looking at other countries. Firstly, because there's a great history. We've lost our history of mushroom eating in Australia. Obviously, we don't know what. I'm assure. I'm assuming that the indigenous people knew every mushroom intimately, but we've lost that information, which is a, a, a great shame. But we look, I look to other countries. I look at Thailand, I look at China, I look at Mexico, and they're a lot braver with what they're eating. And there are a lot of Thai people that are eating mushrooms that are growing, you know, in the, in the top end of Australia that a lot of Australians wouldn't would be scared to eat. So I feel like we can look at those, look what we can get ideas about what could potentially be edible. I, I think I'm just going all over the place with mushrooms. I'm, I don't, you got me going all over the place in my head. <laughs> That's the mycelium. Um, but I think uh, the magical element for me is after you've, the more time you spend looking at them, I feel like if you invite them into your life, it sounds, sounds a bit spiritual, a bit crazy, they show up and they present themselves more. So, you know, I go into the forest a lot. I don't take a basket. I'm not a traditional forager. I don't, I feel like if I go in, I've got, I've got these techniques that if I take, if I take a basket into a forest, I know the mushrooms will not appear because they, they're like, oh, here he comes in with the basket. So you have to go in with a certain energy. Um, and I fill my hat with them, really. Like I, my Instagram account is full of like um, posts with my hat full of mushrooms because I think they, they, they don't expect me to be there as much. And then, you know, I fill my pockets and, my, and if I've got a hoodie on, I'll fill the hoodie up. And then 
the spores will be dropping in my hair and in my clothes and, and then the window of my car will be open and the spores will make their way back to my house where I bring the mushrooms. And really, the more interest I take in mushrooms, the more they're turning up at my house, in my backyard, everywhere. Um, and it, and it, then, then after a long time, I'm, I'm getting to this point now when I'm in the forest, I can almost imagine finding the mushroom before I find it. Now, this is where it gets magic, in my opinion. Like, there are people talk about psilocybin and magic mushrooms, but I think every mushroom can communicate with humans and, and they are all magic. And there's been at least three or four times this year where I've dreamt about finding the mushroom the night before I find the mushroom. Wow. Well, how do you feel about cultivated mushrooms? Uh, when there are no, like, interestingly, I spent most of my life in Melbourne and then I found myself in New South Wales and Queensland seven years ago and I freaked out. I was like, oh, I just felt like I'd got to understand the mushrooms in Melbourne and I was depressed. I was like, I'm coming up here. And the last thing I expected was to find a whole set of new mushrooms and I didn't expect them to be more colourful, bigger and crazier than they were down in Melbourne. And the truth is up the top end of Australia, we have mushrooms that we're still discovering and they're the best tasting mushrooms in the world. Um, there's a mushroom that I fell in love with seven years ago called a parasol mushroom, a macrolepio to dolichula. And I think it's probably the best eating mushroom in the country. And I found that, I saw that mushroom from 200 meters away in a cow paddock. And I thought it was an, a white ibis with its beak in the grass. So when an ibis bends over and, and, and feeds on the seeds in the ground, it sort of creates this round shape on its back. And I was with my girlfriend and I'm like, that's a mushroom over there. And she's like, no, no, you're mad. That can't be a mushroom. It's an ibis. And I'm like, no, no, that's, that's a mushroom. So I jumped the fence and I kind of ran 200 meters towards this thing and I picked it out of the ground. It was, it was a mushroom the size of an ibis. Um, so that just got me, you know, since then it's been crazy um so and and because we're up north where the humidity is superb and it's raining a lot we very rarely get no rain we kind of get two months a year of no rain we we get mushrooms pretty much every day of the year up here but when it when it does slow down then i i cultivate mushrooms at home so i don't mind i think i think we're going i mean there's someone down in melbourne um, I think they're called unearthed mushrooms who are doing amazing things with growing native species. I feel like we're just starting to, I know they've, um, they've got native anoki growing now and then the, the um, herisium, which is the lion's mane. And I think they're very close to working out the code for a, a mushroom called the beef steak mushroom, which is this fleshy mushroom that go, grows off the side of a tree, like a, a piece of flesh, like it looks like a liver. Um, and it's a, a great eating mushroom. Um, and I've heard rumours that they're about to crack the code. So people have been trying for a long time to do that. So I think with cultivated mushrooms, it's very, very exciting that we're going to be able to grow quite a lot of, there'll be a whole lot of new gourmet mushrooms coming out in the next 10 years that are native Australian wild mushrooms. Um, the parasol mushroom, I managed to cultivate a few years ago by accident in my backyard. So that one I was talking about earlier I, had, I managed to grow that in my backyard by accident, so that was cool. But everyone's trying to crack the code on morels. The first person to be able to cultivate a morel will be um, a very rich person, I would say. 
Wow, it's such an exciting space. And I mean, you say that everyone's listened to the podcasts and not my podcast, but and knows about mushrooms. But I feel like most people don't know much about them. And I would certainly put myself in that category. And I, when we think about foraging mushrooms in Australia, I mean, generally people are talking about foraging the European species like pine mushrooms and slippery jacks. Um, and I think what you're doing is really people would consider so outlandish. I know you're in your mushroom world and there are mushroom people that get it, but uh, people I think would firstly think, aren't you going to kill yourself by eating these mushrooms? You know, there's no, sure, I'm sure Indigenous people, as you say, um, would have had a really good understanding of what was okay to eat and what wasn't. But without that knowledge, uh, aren't you at risk of poisoning yourself? Um, Not in 2022. Um, I hear what you're saying. So the thing that happens every season, is that um, the media talk about mushrooms called death caps that will kill you. And we know we lost about six or seven people about 10 years ago in Canberra that were, I think they were a family of cooks or chefs that mistook a mushroom for a, a mushroom that they mistook it for was the paddy straw mushroom, which actually grows in the rice paddies in China. And these mushrooms that they picked were, you know, they picked them at egg stage, so they never saw the mushroom fully developed and they grow under oak trees in Melbourne and Sydney and Canberra. Um, there are only a small handful full of mushrooms that will kill you in Australia, probably two or three, but we live in a world now where you can find out a lot of information online and there's a lot of reputable, amazing foragers and mycologists that are sharing information online. So even using Instagram and contacting people and using Facebook pages, you can you can work out very, very safely and very fast. You know, the general rule is you would never put a mushroom in your mouth unless you knew what it was. And we can find that out now. There are experts around the world that will communicate and tell you what mushroom you have, essentially. So that information is out there now. Um, and the general rule is you need at least three experts to tell you what it is before you would even consider eating it. And that's how you build up your knowledge. But yes, we also, you know, we were colonized by the English and they have a a mycophobia in their blood. And I still, after eating over 200 species of mushrooms in Australia, are scared of mushrooms. There's a mushroom that I picked today that I've eaten once before and I know it's edible, but when I last ate it, I was, I pretty much went into a state of shock for three days. It was a, an amanita that hadn't been – so an amanita – have you heard of an amanita before, Danny? I have. So when you say the word amanita, about 80% of people just freak out because they know that an amanita is a death – you know, part of the family of the death caps. So when I – I've eaten about six amanitas, maybe eight amanitas in Australia, but they have a small section that are in the edible section, but just the name amanita – is enough to put the fear of God into you when you're eating a mushroom, especially when you know that only a few people have eaten it before. So we, me and a friend ate this mushroom and we knew it was safe to eat. We'd done our research, we knew, but we still, anyway, this is, this is after 10 or 15 years of eating mushrooms. But I'm, basically what I'm trying to say is it's still, I still have mycophobia in my, in my blood. It's, I do have a fear of mushrooms, but every day I'm getting better at dealing with that fear. It's not my fault. Like that's just part of part. It just comes with the, with the, with the field. It's so interesting. Uh, am I, am, am I trying, am I relax? Am I relaxing you or am I freaking you out? You're exciting me. Look, there are, there are hundreds of mushrooms that are completely safe. For example, 
chanterelles 10 years ago, no one really knew they existed in Australia. When I moved to northern New South Wales, I found four straight away that I'd never seen before. And I went into shock. I was like, these are chanterelles. I didn't know they were here. And we're talking like bright oranges. We're talking about a species that is bright yellow and bigger than your head. The biggest chanterelle in the world exists in the northern, in northern New South Wales. It's like, it like, it's like eating duck. Now, I've found 16 species of chanterelle. Now, a chanterelle isn't a mushroom that you can, once you've started looking at chanterelles and what they look like, you can't really muck that up. The only thing you might mistake it for is a hygrocybe, but that would be a, you know, once you get your eye in, you know what a chanterelle is. You, and then there's 16 I've found. I reckon there must be at least five more. The, the fact that we have 20 chanterelles without even going into field mushrooms or other edible species, it's ludicrous. Like we have literally hundreds of edible mushrooms here that aren't being utilised. How has this occurred? I mean, chanterelles are such a prized mushroom in in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, like it, it sounds like there's a, almost like a mushroom blindness that's going on. I don't think people, I don't know if people know how to see things anymore. I would guarantee that if anyone listening to this podcast has taken a walk in the bush before, they've seen a chanterelle but they haven't known it's a chanterelle or they haven't known what to look for. They hide, basically. Chanterelles, most chanterelles, you only see a flash of colour appearing underneath leaf litter. So they grow with eucalyptus, for example. So most people aren't looking for mushrooms under eucalypts. They're kind of thinking, oh, you go to the pine forest to look for mushrooms, for example. So they're not looking for mushrooms when they're in a eucalypt forest or in, you know, the, the, the rhubarb mushroom that was coming out of the eucalypt in my brother-in-law's backyard in Easter five years ago. I, I saw a flash of, like a flash of rhubarb coming out of the leaf litter and then I pulled the leaf litter back and found it. So you don't actually see the whole chanterelle. It's not like in Europe where they're kind of shooting right out of the ground and the, you can see them as far as the eye can see. They're, in Australia, they're hidden. So it's a different way of looking. Um, the other thing is the first time I found a morel, I was with my ex-girlfriend and she needed to do a, a, a bush dump. You know, like she needed, to, there was no toilet. She needed to take a poo in the bush and she pooed next to a morel. We don't stop in the bush. Most people go, I'm going for a walk in the forest, and they don't, they walk. I've, the most amazing mushrooms I've ever found are when I've actually stopped and stopped again, and then they appear after that. So there's a way of, there's a way of really, I feel like there's a way of seeing that, that takes time in the forest, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a curse and a blessing because I can't take a walk in the forest with my girlfriend anymore without her getting angry because a, a walk that would normally take 10 minutes takes three hours. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I guess kids are like that. You know, if you try to go for a walk with, with a toddler, they'll collect everything. And I suppose that, that sort of wonder and those keen observation skills are, um, you know, they're just shaken out of us by life and all the distractions that we have. But it feels like you can see mushrooms as a really, uh, as a, as a really anchoring kind of um, uh, interest and uh, just a way of yeah being, I guess, literally and and metaphorically more connected with what's around us. Like my my sons, every day, literally, like today, I I picked up my two kids from school, and it's not get in the car and leave it's dad i saw this mushroom you've got to come and see this so it's almost like they're looking for me as well 
And the other thing is, you know, when I when this obsession started about 15 years ago, I was literally getting lost. Like I would drive the car and I know I had to get to a job and I'd see something out of the corner. And I actually hunt for mushrooms from the car window now because you're actually looking at subtle changes in the environment. So you can actually spot a mushroom at 100 k's an hour if you've got your eye in. And, and so anyway, I'd pull over and see a mushroom and then, then I would look at that mushroom and then I'd see another one further into the forest and literally time would disappear. Like I'd actually literally get lost looking at these things. And I think there's something kind of that, you know, there's not many things in life that can get you lost anymore. Like everything's so, everything's so worked out for us. We don't really get a chance to lose ourselves. So for me, I you know, as much as it's, as much as it's bad, it's, it's really good too. Martin, how do you share this knowledge with people? Like, is, are, are there, you know, events, foraging trips? Like, you know, how do you share your passion? So like my Instagram account, I literally, I kind of, I don't, when I write about mushrooms, I try not to write about them. I try and write about them, I guess, as a songwriter or as a, or like in, in the form of poetry. Cause I don't, I don't like to just go, well, this is a mushroom and its cap diameter is like this and it has a special annulus and it's got a bulbous base. I try and get into the head. I try and get into the into the body of the mushroom and understand it a bit more. So I kind of go off on tangents and rant about mushrooms. But I do run tours like throughout the season in different states where I take people out into the forests and I educate them about how to look at mushrooms. Um and I, and I think, you know, Instagram's really cool in the sense that there are a lot of people that are into mushrooms and sharing photos of mushrooms and talking about mushrooms. So any, there's no such thing as a bad book on mushrooms and there's no such thing as wasting time. The more you look at images of mushrooms and names of mushrooms, whether that be the common name or the Latin names, it's just the further down the wormhole you go and the better you get at it. It's just something that you can't teach in one afternoon. It's something that literally lasts, it takes your whole life to learn about mushrooms. And I even feel now that the more I know about them, the, the less I know about them. So it's a, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big kahuna of a, a journey. <laughs> so if I was to come on a foraging trip with you, would I be allowed to bring a basket or is it not really like that? I think there are a lot of people doing that, but that's not the idea. We're just, I'm sort of just teaching the ideas behind it. And then what you do in your own time, your own time after that, is what you do. It's really like the safety thing is really important, but I also like, you know, I had some stickers printed last year that said love is more dangerous than mushrooms because I do believe, well, I think I've always thought that love is more dangerous than mushrooms because so many people have lost their lives and their minds in, in chaotic love and only a very small percentage of people have problems with mushrooms. But having said, you know, like I do feel like most people, when you talk about mushrooms go, Hey, he must be into magic mushrooms or he's, you know, they don't consider that you can learn about mushrooms or think or talk about them. So that's the most important thing, trying to get dispel this idea that they're a scary thing and, and have an open mind and curiosity about what's potentially, what the, the potential of mushroom foraging or looking at or eating or even just photographing them can be. Um, and, you know, there are laws in Australia as well, which are kind of weird because a mushroom, you know, I think you can't, there's not many places in the in Australia you can legally pick a mushroom, um, which is weird. You know, the 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 life the 
you know, mushrooms grow the way they grow because they want a seven-year-old to boot it, you know, across the field. So a mushroom is like grass. It's like humans. They're just, all they're trying to do is take over the world. Like we're taking over the world, unfortunately. The mushrooms are trying to do the same thing. So the reason why a mushroom is pink and big is because it wants you to pick it. It wants you to eat it. It wants you to throw it across the bush because it wants to take over a different part of the land or take over a different part of the planet. So the, the laws are weird, right? These laws have been around for a long time. And I think they kind of were put under the same laws of um, flora and fauna. You know, you don't want people going into national parks and pulling out trees and you don't want them disturbing bird life and animal life. But a mushroom needs a, a mushroom needs a human being or a fly or an animal to move it to a, another section of the forest to make it stronger and grow in different areas. So my belief is a mushroom wants to be picked, wants to be eaten, wants to be thrown around, wants to be kicked across the sports field at school, and they want our attention. Um, so as far as legalities go, you've always meant to be picking mushrooms in private property. So everything that I pick is on – basically, I just spend as much time as I can making friends with people that have beautiful properties that I can go and look at for mushrooms on. Um, but that's just an important part to think about. But I'm, I am hoping that they, those legalities change in the future because I think it's a beautiful thing to do and it doesn't hurt the mushroom. Like It's like imagining that there's an orange tree and 95% of the tree is underground and all you're really doing is picking the fruit, fruiting body of the mushroom. So it doesn't damage the mushroom. It doesn't kill the mushroom. The, the mushroom will always fruit no matter what in that position. Um, and by picking it, you're in, you're helping the planet, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the way you speak about mushrooms, they they seem to be these very resilient creatures. We hear so much about, uh, you know, um, produce being harder to grow because of climate change, or it grows differently. Um, you know, uh, land is being cleared, um, soil de degraded. I mean, how do you like how resilient are mushrooms? Are they? Do we need to be concerned about? Um, yeah, uh, concerned about their uh, future? No, like you, like mushrooms are mushrooms will be the last thing standing on the planet. Like they, they love chemicals. Like five minutes out of the CBD, there's you could pick over a hundred different species of mushrooms in Melbourne. I would say close to 20 or 30 edible species within the CBD. There are psilocybin mushrooms growing all over the CBD. They're, they're actually, unfortunately, a lot. the only thing you really need to worry about are old like grounds where there's been a whole lot of metals building up because mushrooms do do have an ability to, to carry heavy metals, which can be destructive to the to your to your to your system. So you would always be careful of where you pick mushrooms. But they do filter out. They you know so Roundup, for example, I wouldn't have an issue picking up mushrooms that were growing on the edges of golf courses or the edges of roads. They don't they don't, they don't suck in pollution or anything like that compared to the amount of chemicals that are used to grow most of our food. So they are resilient. We have, you know, the floods that have happened across Australia this year did knock the mushrooms around for a few months. Like they disappeared for a couple of months. But today, literally going to the flood areas, they've they've turned it around. Like they're just going bonkers. I've never seen more mushrooms today than ever before. So you're never going to be able to hold a mushroom down. They're going to be here forever. <laughs> I love it. Um, Martin, I know we've only just scratched the very surface of all we could talk about with mushrooms, but is there anything else that you would like to say today? 
Yeah, yeah. Look, there's one other thing. So, looking for like I've always I found that you know like pe- people are just as people are just as important as mushrooms. So I was in Tasmania last week and I ended up um, visiting. I found out I heard about this guy that was a Swiss. He had goats and he made his own cheese. So I kind of rang him up. I got his number and I ended up going over to his house. And I said, we, we should um, go and have eat some mushrooms on your property. So we went for a walk and he showed me these mushrooms that he was scared of eating. And I was like, these are just, these taste amazing, these mushrooms. Let's cook them up. And then when I went back to his house, he said, oh, there's this mushroom I've been eating for 10 years. And he, and he pulled out these dried specimens and I nearly fell over. Like he'd been eating... So obviously he's European and he's going off the guides from Europe, but obviously we know that the mushrooms in Europe aren't the same as the ones in Australia, but he's been eating this mushroom that's a giant red, so like a porcini, but red. And when you cut this mushroom in half, it, 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 uh, it changes colour to a blue colour. So it's a blue staining red belete. Now, I mean, I would be scared to eat this mushroom, but we ate it that afternoon. He just made a, a soup out of it. He dried some and he goes, I've been eating it for 10 years. So one of the exciting things about what I'm doing is, is the people that you can come across that have different relationships than you do to mushrooms because they've come from another place in the world is, you know, you can meet amazing people that there's still probably a lot of amazing secrets out there as far as mushrooms go that we're, we're uncovering. And it really is just the beginning. Like I'm, I'm expecting to hopefully eat another 200 more mushrooms in the next decade. There it's, 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 yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. How many mushroom varieties do you reckon there are? Well, varieties are a weird world word. It's like there's genuses. So that's the, the gene, you know, there's hundreds of genus. So a genus is like Toyota, you know, like a car, it's the, it's the type of car. So the mushroom is a Toyota, so Amanita. And then Amanita in itself might have 17 or 1800 species. So there's a Toyota Corolla or the Toyota Camry or the Toyota Overlander. I don't, I don't know cars, but I, I, I know mushrooms better than cars. Yeah. So like there's, there's, there's at least 20,000 to 30,000 mushrooms in Australia and we believe we've kind of named about 5% of them. So we're just, it's just, it's the last frontier in the world as far as mushrooms go. Like most of, most of the world has got a very good idea of the mushrooms that are growing there and maybe up to 50 or 60% of naming them all. But here it's, we're literally at the beginning. Exciting stuff. Martin, thank you so much for uh, yeah sharing your passion with us today. I'm excited to explore and eat Australian mushrooms. Thank you. No worries, Denny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.